Welcome to episode 170 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Um, This week on my As Seen on Instagram, I have a post from Speechy Things that Funny enough is a reminder that um, she says some of the most amazing SLPs I know do not have an Instagram account. <laughs> and I felt what? like that was, yes, that was her <laughs> reminder on there. Um, Who are these I, people? I know, right? <laughs> I felt like that was a good reminder too. Like one that for ourselves that we don't have to be doing everything that, um, you know, we can't all be as funny as the messy SLP <laughs> and all true, of these true. people or sharing like good tips every day, like Amy Gray. Like, not all of us can do that. And that doesn't make us a bad speech therapist. Um, The other thing that it reminded me of is a lot of times people who are sharing have, you know, a business um, or a product that they're selling. So I think, too, that reminds you, if you don't have that, maybe that's not the best place to spend your time. And also for us consuming it is to kind of like, I don't know, follow the money or see, you know, is this person like, is the resources and things that they're sharing, are they based on evidence-based practice? Or is it just kind of like the loud and flashiest person or funniest person in the room? And not to say that there's any speech there, like most accounts I've ever seen really are sharing really great content. But just a general reminder that it's not always like the loudest voice in the room or on the internet isn't always the correct one. Um, so it was just some good reminders, I think, to like think about, you know, because I feel like more and more people are getting more info. I bet if you did a poll that there were more people who get speech therapy information on a daily basis from more from Instagram than Asha. I, oh, I, would assume, I, assume, I, uh, I right? agree. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think like, no, not that it's a bad thing, because it is nice that it's packaged in these small little bites of information that we can, you know, consume and understand and go out and do. And that's harder to do with a full page article in a journal sure. that maybe gets sent to us once a year. So I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's something that we do need to be cautious of. And it was just a good reminder, I thought. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think yeah, I, I've seen some things that were really great and how someone had presented something that hadn't thought about it that way before right. or a strategy. And then I've seen other stuff where it's such a limited amount of information. It's it's almost doing a disservice because you're leaving the person who doesn't know better an impression that that's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I've seen that a lot, even like with some people that they're like, oh, I'll give you this little sample. Mm -hmm. But then if you want the whole story, that's behind a paywall, which like we all have to make money and things like that. But I think that there is there's a little bit of a, I don't know, disservice, like you said, to the community. Yeah, I think it's, you know, part of I'm all for people making money. And right. There's there's that solo entrepreneur um, mindset that is, I think really pervasive uh, in the field now, and especially Mm -hmm. on 
you know, on Instagram. And we've seen people that we know very well who've been on the show who who are really doing quite well now and doing right. really, really wonderful things. Great and things. Mm-hmm. and uh, I applaud all that. Um, but uh, I think we do have to sometimes take a step back and make sure we are getting accurate information or at least double right. check it with other sources. Right. So on the podcast, we have Tia Javier, who is a bilingual clinician, and she's based in Richmond, Virginia. And so she's going to talk to us about her life and her practice there and give us some pointers on how do we serve those families that may speak another language or be of another culture. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I'm a co-host of Telepractice Today with my dear friend, Kim Allen. And I just wanted to take a moment and ask you a favor. You see, we at the 3C Digital Media Network, yes, and I am also the CEO of 3C, as we call it, we need you. We need you to maybe develop a webinar that we could distribute for you. Or maybe it's a course that you have in mind that you'd like to share your knowledge and skills. We would want to do that with you. We can help you distribute, produce, and distribute all of those things. We have blogs that you could do. Maybe you want to start in this whole wild world of online publishing and online media and you want to start with a blog, we would be very happy to host that blog on our website. So if you have some ideas about blogging or a webinar or maybe a course that you'd like to offer, or maybe you have an idea for a totally new podcast, you may not know this, but we actually produce five podcasts And it's growing. And so, who knows? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. We would love to talk to you. In fact, I would love to talk to you. I would love to showcase what you're doing, your knowledge and skills, no matter what it might look like. Course, webinar, podcast, blog, doesn't really matter. You can reach out to me at Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. That's T-O-D-D at the number three, three C, C as in cat, digitalmedianetwork.com. And I will be in touch. Thank you for considering this. And we'll talk soon. Well, Tia, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Sure. Um, My name is Tia Javier, and I'm a speech-language pathologist. Um, Prior to becoming a speech-language pathologist, I was a Spanish professor. Um, And I became a speech-language pathologist when my three-year-old needed speech therapy. Um, And at the time, when I was searching for a Spanish-speaking speech therapist, since we speak Spanish at home, there were none. Um, and that is what, uh, influenced me to go into the field of speech pathology. 
So you, you kind of threw out there that you were a professor. Which yes. It's what I am on the, uh, my day job. Um, so how? So talk to me about that. How? Where were you a professor? I was a professor at Virginia Union University. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I was there um, for four years, and um, I was teaching Spanish and um, and Afro Latino cultures. Nice. Um, and at the time, my my daughter was three, and I found out that there were only eighty seven Spanish speaking speech pathologists in the entire state of Virginia. Um, so that kind of explained why it was so hard for me to find one in Richmond. And, um, I just thought that it was perfect to kind of couple my, um, my master's in Spanish with that of speech pathology and to offer, um, I opened up a practice here in Richmond and, uh, I'm helping to fill the gap for Spanish speakers. That's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm surprised you had 87. (laughs) That's a low number, but I'm actually surprised there's that many. Um, I have no idea. What uh, here in Ohio, how many we would have, but not many, I'm sure. Probably mm-hmm. not 87. So how's how's your daughter doing now? She's doing great. Now she's 11 years old and ah. we can't get her to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's bilingual now. So she right? is. That is yes. wonderful. Yes. Right? Although we did not find a Spanish speaking speech therapist, but um, she was able to complete her speech therapy and she did a very good job. Wonderful. Yeah. So um, you've you've been a professor, you've been on a college faculty and now you switch gears, go into speech language pathology. Yes. Now a practice. This is this is quite the journey. So where, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. So from here, uh, my family's from the Dominican Republic, ah, okay. um, which is why we speak Spanish at home. Um, but I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. And did and did your so your family spoke Spanish at home when you were yes. growing? That's awesome. That is so awesome. So what do you see as like floating around still as some of the um, myths and things about bilingual children or bilingual therapies? Um, Well, we even still have a lot of the doctors who are telling the patients not to only choose one language to speak at home and to choose English. Um, And that's just a myth. A lot of people think that bilingualism will confuse a child or that it contributes to... um, language disorders, but that's that's untrue. A child before the age of three can easily learn four different languages and know who to speak those languages to without an issue. And even children who have speech and language disorders can learn a second language. Right. And I, I like how you brought that up because I feel like um, what I've seen, I feel like most people know that learning two languages does not cause a language disorder, that that's kind of you know, we mostly busted that, at least within the field. But something that I still see is people assuming that someone with a language delay or autism or things like that, like that they shouldn't be exposed to more than one language because they won't have the ability to learn both. Is that something that you have seen or what have seen evidence that that's not true as well? That's correct. Um, A lot of people assume that 
um, professionals and parents alike. And that's simply not true. I have had children with severe developmental delays that came to my office not knowing any language, and now they're bilingual, and they understand both languages and can speak both languages without an issue. I have several children with with autism who are also bilingual. That's great. Yeah. That's amazing. And so you've done some telepractice work, right? Yes. Yes. And so how would sort of the average SLP out there who probably isn't bilingual doing telepractice, how can they go into those sessions with more information about working with bilingual families? I think um, that teletherapy in itself um, can be a little bit of a new concept for our immigrant and migrant families. Um, A lot of the Spanish-speaking patients that I have come from developing countries that do not have access to the same resources that we have here. So um, that cultural aspect there may be something that SLPs should go um, with in mind. So it may take a little bit more patience and time to get both the parents and the children acclimated to working um, on the on via uh, teletherapy. Um, for instance, um, the majority of the children can do it pretty well because, you know, kids are so adaptable and versatile, but it usually comes with the parents, um, not only via teletherapy, but in person as well. It requires a lot of parent education to let them know what their role is too when it comes to their child um, using teletherapy. Yeah, I actually had a situation yesterday where I was in an IEP meeting and trying to get um, permission to potentially video a student that I was seeing to do some trainings. And it was a Spanish speaking family. And there was some and I had like a permission form in English and in Spanish for them to look at. But there was some like hesitancy that they I don't know if they quite understood or quite were comfortable with or trusted the idea of their of their student being videotaped and things like that so I think there is some you know um some cultural things that they're not as used to that you have to be sensitive about and that was just kind of I don't know eye-opening to me that I thought oh I'll you know as long as I have it in Spanish then they'll understand and it will be fine (laughs) kind of thing and realizing that that's not always the case. Yes I feel that um, a lot of people kind of take the cultural component out um, when dealing with people of other languages. Mm -hmm. Um, So not only should one be bilingual but they should also be bicultural and know Mm -hmm. what um, comes along with that culture, how they may look at disabilities, um, what types of resources they may have had access to, things like that. Yeah. And do you have any tips about like the best place to find that information? Because I know even being, you know, a Spanish speaker, that doesn't mean there's very lots of cultures that speak Spanish. I have a good friend mm-hmm. from Spain whose in-laws kind of still think he's from Mexico, <laughs> which are very, very different. <laughs> Yes. So any tips mm-hmm. on that? 
Um, I just think that um, a lot of professionals should do their due diligence when it comes to educating th themselves about um, the different cultures. So there's Spanish, there are 21 Spanish speaking um, countries wow. and they all are different and yeah. um, they all have, even within the one country, there are a lot of different differences. So maybe the Northern part of Guatemala speaks different from the Eastern part of Guatemala. Um, so something that I like to do when I am evaluating my patients is to figure out where, what country, um, their heritage is from. So if I'm not familiar with that culture, then I'll just do the research to figure out if they have any words that may be different from the words that I'm used to saying, or, um, just, just some more information. And, um, I think a quick Google search will be able to give you, um, at least the basics of, um, what you can expect, um, mm -hmm. from, from people of that country. I remember actually when I was in Utah, we were trying to develop materials in Spanish and we had, uh, someone from Colombia read the Spanish, um, text that we had. And, he made all these corrections and then went through and, and then someone else read it. <laughs> oh, it has to be different because it's a different dialect. And so he was reading it. I mean, even the written language, you have to take that into consideration in terms of what a standard Spanish language is because mm -hmm. it can yes. vary a little bit. Yes, yes. Um, and when I give my therapy, I try to um, do a more standard language. If I am familiar with the culture and the and the country, then I um, gear it more to that to that dialect. Um, however, I try to keep everything as standard as possible. Excuse me. So, are there any other uh, materials that you go to when you're doing your telepractice sessions that are you find more helpful than than others? Mm, as far as materials, I use a lot of the materials that we have um, in office. I don't really um, use too many of the virtual or electronic options. Um, I feel that my goal is to keep the child engaged. So um, I make my sessions very silly where I'm like getting things and toys and putting it up to the screen to make it a little bit more interactive. Mm -hmm. Um so that that is my strategy that I use. And have you found um, kind of a lack of resources out there in the digital world when it comes to bilingualism? Or do you feel like there's enough out there? It's just not your style kind of things. Um, there's definitely a lack. There's definitely a lack, even um, with reflecting the cultural differences between the different countries. Mm -hmm. um, there's a huge lack. <laughs> So a lot of times um, we're kind of making our own stuff. We'll find some things online and we will craft it to to fit what we do. Because of your background, uh, I have to ask you, Tia, um, some of the, and this is stepping out of um, talking about speech pathology specifically, but uh, some of the issues that we see around the country now about uh, diversity and equality and inclusion and some of the cultural battles or so to speak are going on. How's things going in Virginia? Um, are things okay or, or you see some of that stuff percolating up? 
Um, I think I we definitely see it here in Virginia, and I think of being um, um, a person, a minority person. Um, I am able to kind of pick up on the nuances of um, the lack of diversity and things like that. So one big thing is um, Spanish speaking anything, Spanish speaking professionals. <laughs> yeah, so. mm-hmm. There's a huge lack um, everywhere. So uh, I, in my practice, we offer occupational therapy as well. Mm-hmm. So thus far, everyone in my um, practice speaks Spanish. However, it has been very, very hard to find any other Spanish-speaking therapists, occupational therapists, or speech therapists. If I'm not mistaken, I think only 4% of um, speech therapists are bilingual, mm-hmm. not just with but bilingual. Um, and then 10% of um, occupational therapists. So in that arena, we've, we've found a lot of issues. Um, and not only that too, with the Spanish speaking population, but with the black population as well. Um, there's, when it comes to um, the cultural sensitivity of like African Americans, I see that to be a big issue um mm-hmm. for one not even with people who are not african american but african americans themselves kind of don't um realize that they have their own culture and um and they have uh there are many speakers of african american vernacular english which is a dialect of english that many people are not aware about um and we see a big lack in that area as well. And and a lot of people kind of understanding that cultural undertone as well. Um, so in Virginia, we, um, we definitely see a, a lack of diversity in a lot of areas, especially when it comes to professionals. Yeah. And what, what can we do? What, what <laughs> where do you think we need to go in the future? What can we do to remedy that? Um, I think that, um, you know, I think that we kind of need to do some healing as a country. And um, just a lot of people don't want to sit down and have these hard conversations about why we're in the position that we're in today. And it has to do with our past, no matter how much time has passed from our our dark past, um, we are still feeling the effects today. And I think that that needs to be acknowledged. And I think that that needs to be discussed. And once that is acknowledged and discussed, then we will be able to heal as a nation and be able to move on and, you know, kind of even the playing field a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But not pretending that it never happened and that, you know, kind of the color blindness that some people want to take that route. Right. Because so, in addition to being um, a Hispanic person, I'm obviously a Black person as well. So um, what I have noticed, I grew up in predominantly Black and Hispanic um, areas until I got to college. And um, what I've noticed is that kind of like the background and education is very different. Like what I was taught up knowing about our history is maybe different than my my best friend who grew up two hours away in a predominantly white area. And I just feel that kind of like you guys talked about um, Florida, 
So things like that, it's like harming people because if they don't know about the history or things that happen, then it's, you know, how, how can anyone understand why we're in the state that we're in now if we have no idea about our past? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I feel that that's a, a big thing um, because my, my best friend is um, a white woman and the things that I have taught her about the past <laughs> in our country, she's just like shocked. And she's just like, I never learned that. Or I, I had no right. idea about that. And, um, you know, in a lot of minority households, these are things that we talk about because it happened to us. Right. Um, so I think that that's the biggest thing. And I think that when um, the higher ups are less political and, um, are trying to unite us as American people and not as Republicans or Democrats or what have you, black or white. Um, I think that that is when we will be able to um, to to heal more and kind of get over what we're in now. We have come a long way, um, but we still have a ways to go. Totally agree. <laughs> we have to keep keep fighting the good fight, right? Yes. So <laughs> yeah. Tia, I think it's time for uh, the most important part of our interview, and that is our moment of Zen. Are you familiar okay. with this? No. Oh. So we have three different lists of questions that we ask. We ask one list, so you can choose list A, B, or C, and we will ask you that list of questions. It's a way to get to know you even more. Okay. So you want list A, B, or C? I'll take list C. C. Mm -hmm. Where is it? There, there it is. Okay. So you've already answered a couple of these. Mm -hmm. um, so question number one, where did you grow up and how did that affect the person you became? Okay. So I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I grew up in poverty. I was raised by my great grandmother um, and my dad wasn't in my life and my mother was a drug addict. So the environment that I grew up in really um, kind of pushed me to be the best that I could be because I did not want to follow the same trajectory as my family had before. Um, I'm the first one in my family to go to college. Um, so that was a big deal. Most of my family members didn't even um, graduate high school. So I feel that me being born where I was in the situation that I was born in definitely helped to push me to persevere and um, help with determination to be where I am today. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Um, next question is, if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? If money were not a factor, I probably would not work as much <laughs> or as hard as I am now. Um, I would probably take my time and um, enjoy life. Uh, I really enjoy gardening, spending time with my children and spending time with my loved ones and helping my community to be a better place. Awesome. Um, next question. What was the last thing you searched for on Google? Oh, well, let me find out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. It was, oh, it was about the BRICS Summit. 
the BRICS summit that's happening now in South Africa. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good. Um, next question is, what do people misunderstand most about you? Um, I think that something that people misunderstand the most about me is um, the fact that I am kind of judged from my looks rather than getting to know me. So a lot of people, they see me right away. Uh, I look very young, but I'm 33 years old. <laughs> so wow. for one, they, they think that um, I'm like early 20s. Uh -huh. Um, and then, you know, the fact that I'm a business owner, so not a lot of people would expect me to be a business owner. I also speak four different languages. Um, so I think that just kind of, um, uh, judging a book by its cover and until I open up a little bit more, people usually don't expect all that I, I can bring to the table. So other than English and Spanish, what do, languages do you speak? French and Portuguese. Wow. That's that's crazy. I can I can barely speak English. So, um, next question is: What is a common myth about your job? Um, I think. Well, we already talked about one with the bilingualism. Um, mm -hmm. Another one is: Let's see, a myth. A lot of people um, just think that SLPs are speech teachers <laughs> yep. and uh yeah they just kind of have no idea of what what our job entails so they think that it's easy and you know anyone could do it <laughs> yeah exactly that's, that's funny i was at my husband teaches high school and i was at his school today and he's like well you're still here after lunch why don't you talk to my class about what you do and he, he teaches video and, you know, I use video a lot. So he had me do that. But I asked him, who knows what a speech language pathologist is? No hands at all. When I said speech therapist, there were a few more hands that went up, but most of them did not even know what that profession was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Never heard of it. Yep. Yeah. Next. So I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. But just to, just to um, talk about that a little bit more. So if you think that a lot of Americans don't even know what a speech language pathologist hmm. is, think about Spanish speakers from developing right. countries <laughs> right. when right. it comes to to um, speech therapists. So that was a great example of why we need to educate a little bit more. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that, yeah, that's true. They probably, they, I know some countries don't even have the profession. You know, um, yeah, that's. Yeah, I have thought about that. And that's what um, we did have someone on a while ago that talked about um, international services. And she said something to push forward the in, the services in other areas is joining the um, speech language pathology so association or the equivalent of in that country, too. And, you know, offering to do trainings and things like that. So we're not just like going to another country and kind of becoming the like well, you don't have speech therapy, so I'll provide it. But then when I leave, you still will have no speech yeah. therapy. <laughs> I went to um, Ghana in 2020, and um, I found out that there were only eight speech therapists in the entire country. Wow, that's amazing. And when um, 
I was just in the Dominican Republic um, a couple of weeks ago, and they hardly have any speech therapists either. And um, some of my family members work in schools there, and they were telling me about like eighth graders who cannot speak. They can't understand them and they try to communicate, but they cannot. And they just did not receive any help at all um, because of the lack of resources. So it's pretty sad. It is. It is. Um, And you probably already answered this, but what challenge in life shaped you the most? Oh, yes. My background, definitely. It it really shaped me. Um, next question is, when are you the most productive? Hmm, I think I am the most productive between the hours of 10 p.m. and midnight. Yes, finally, <laughs> night out with me. Everybody <laughs> says first thing in the morning. <laughs> and I feel like I'm not normal. <laughs> Thank you. There's so- one other person in the world like you, Kim. <laughs> You finally found her. <laughs> so my, um, I have two children. I'm married. Um, I run this business. I'm a speech therapist. So most of my day is just not my day. So, so once my children are asleep, my husband is asleep. Then I have those <laughs> couple of hours to kind of woosa and, and concentrate on everything that I can. That's great. That's yeah. perfect. Um. What's your favorite comfort food? Hmm. Comfort food. I would have to say ice cream. Oh, good. Nice. <laughs> What's your favorite flavor? Strawberry. <laughs> My favorite too. Um What's a f- um excuse me. Do you have a life motto or a saying or quote that inspires you? I have a few of them. Um, I would say that my life motto is everything happens for a reason. Very true. I like it. Last question is, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? Job well done. Excellent. Well, Tia, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And how can people reach out to you to maybe chat with you or send an email? Uh, how can they reach you? I can be reached via email at tjavier at bilingualtherapy.com. Um, I can also be reached on Facebook. You can look up Bilingua Therapy um, and send me a message there. Awesome. Right. Well, do come back in the future and give us an update on everything that you're doing. Will do. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank Tia for joining us on the podcast and go check out what she's doing over at Bilingua Therapy in Richmond, Virginia. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I also want to mention that we are adding more content to our 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com website and we are looking for people like you. Maybe you have a webinar or a course, or maybe you want to host your own podcast, or maybe you just want to write some blogs. All of that would be great. Please reach out to me if you're interested at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com.
I would really appreciate it. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.